HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Season two of Meet and Three is almost here. We're kicking off with a show all about football. I am excited. So much fun. <laughs> we'll tell you how to master the tailgating scene with help from some Atlanta chefs. The sky's the limit when it comes to tailgating. Yeah, do something that you, you can pull off without stressing yourself too much. Then we'll look at what's good and bad about players' diets, whether they're an NFL star or just made the JV team at their high school. And that's when I was told the first time, well, just take them to McDonald's and feed them feed Big Macs and milkshakes. There's a greater percentage of guys that have a, a, a clear focus on what they're putting in their body. You know, in SEC school, people are fans, but we also have to realize that they're kids. They're 18 to 22, 23-year-olds. Subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts and be the first to know when season two drops. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today, my guest is Sana Javari Kadri. She's a queer food photographer and the founder of Diaspora Co., a spice collective working between Mumbai, India, and Oakland, California, towards a radically different spice trade dedicated to equity, sustainable agriculture, and decolonization. Her work is rooted in community, color, social justice, and food culture. Welcome to the show, Sana. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Hi, I'm so happy to have you as a guest today. I am so inspired by the work you do. You do, and the more I've been reading about you, the more excited I've been to, to talk to you. So it's great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks. Well, you had such an all-star cast on here. I listened to a few of the earlier show, and I was just like, oh, wow, this is the okay. <laughs> well, thank you. It's um, yeah. It's you know lovely to be in my position, sitting across from so many cool people and hearing so many incredible yeah. stories. Um, so yeah, let's let's dive right in. I mean, we are going to talk about your work with Diaspora Co. But I would love to just hear a little bit more about you and your background. I know um, you grew up in Mumbai. Uh, what made you want to mm-hmm. leave and come to the United States? <laughs> Um, so my parents had actually 
come to grad school here at um, University of Michigan Ann Arbor. And then after their time here, they had moved to Berkeley. And so my whole childhood, my mom talked about Berkeley kind of as a promised land. Um, she actually, I think she asked my dad casually to marry her in the avocado aisle of Berkeley Bowl. Oh my God, um, that's like the most <laughs> California thing I've ever heard. Literally, like it's the most Bay Area. It's like peak Bay Area, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were, you know, like my mom was this raging feminist teaching architecture and women's studies and living in Berkeley. And so I spent my whole childhood hearing these stories about Berkeley in particular. Um, but then also, Mumbai in the 90s, I think especially when you grew up in the very strange sexist society that I did, which was in the sort of rising upper middle class, where in the 90s, India had just neoliberalized, which meant that we went from being pretty much a protectionist state to suddenly, um, like, watching capitalism flood our gates. Mm. Um, it also just meant that there was a lot of new money floating around, um, and... So a lot of my childhood was, I was raised on Nickelodeon and Fruit Roll-Ups as like a very aspirational thing. <laughs> like if you had a cable that had Nickelodeon on it, you had made it. <laughs> um, and, and I thought of Taco Bell as like very elite American food product mm-hmm. um, because my, my aunt would bring it back for us from New Jersey when she visited and my brother and I would trade it on the playground all year. Um, so I really had a lot of like images in my mind of like America being where things are shiny and packaged and glorious. Um, but also, I didn't have a great childhood in Mumbai. I I think a lot of it was to do with being queer and not fully understanding what that meant. Um, I remember that in third grade, kind of hugging and holding my best friend's hand at my all-girls school was like the highlight of my day and then I couldn't believe the next day that she held somebody else's hands. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of feelings stifled in my childhood in Mumbai. And like the feelings that I was feeling were not experienced by everybody else. Um, that being said, when I did come to India, the culture shock was pretty pretty heroic where I was like, oh, I, I When you came to you America? Oh, sorry, yeah. Oh, that's when okay. I did come to the US, yeah. the culture shock was completely crazy where I thought that I was coming to this country that I had watched on TV and therefore totally understood. Right. Um, and that was obviously not the case. Like, I didn't really know what Kleenex was. Mm. Um, Taco like, Bell isn't like really that. our currency here. Taco Bell, yeah, it's <laughs> not like elite American cuisine. Yeah. Um, it's not the cutting edge of, yeah, American dining. Um, and on a, a uh, side note, just to what you were saying, what was it like for you to uh, see the news that gay marriage is no longer illegal in India. It's been pretty emotional. It's been kind of an amazing week because of it. Yeah. Um, I think... Or not just gay I marriage, mean, Just is it just any... Just, I mean, homosexuality. Yeah, homosexuality. Just, yeah, yeah, it was expressing homosexuality. It's not so much marriage. It was more... It was a colonial law about gay sex in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same law that exists in a lot of colonies still. Um, and... I actually stayed up late the night before the judgment um, listening to um, kind of a live reporting of it. Um, and then about 1 a.m. our time, PST, it was like, the justices basically overturned it. And I, I had my girlfriend and my dog asleep next to me and started to cry into my pillow for a bit. Mm. Um, I think it, I didn't expect to feel so much relief because 
I live here for the most part now. I have, I live in Oakland in the Bay Area, living a pretty, like, fabulously gay life. Yeah. Um, so I didn't fully recognize how much I wanted that validation um, from where I go home to. So I'm actually going back to India next Monday, so two weeks from now. Um, and I'm really excited to kind of see what that's meant and like what, what conversations that's changing around. I mean, especially with older folks, because a lot of the young folks are just like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Um, and in the big cities. So I'm excited to see what happens. And yeah, it's, it's yeah, a that's, big deal. It's really profound. Is there anyone that you're going to be seeing on your trip uh, when you go back to India that you weren't able to come out to that you think you're going to encounter this time and it's going to be a really different experience? Oh, gosh. Um, on one hand, I have not come out to a lot of people, like especially people who I've worked in relationships with. Um, you know, in India, already being a young woman doing business, it's very, very hard to be taken seriously. Um, I constantly get asked whether I'm, like, running my father's business or where my CFO is like, or where my male CFO is. Mm. Um or basically, like, where the boss is right. um, throughout this process. But, Does that happen um, in the United it, States or just in India? It mostly happens in India, mm-hmm. honestly. I think here, well, I also operate, you know, in certain bubbles in the United States um, between the Bay Area and New York. Um, and I think in India, for a while, I actually lied to every single farmer that I met about my age, and I usually pretend that I had a husband. Mm-hmm. Um because for those first interactions, like, I just didn't know how else to be taken seriously and to, like, seem like I came from completely the same planet without completely alienating them. Right. Um, and so, I mean, the farmers that I work with currently, they have often asked me why I'm not married, why I don't have a husband. Um, and I have often, especially when we're, like, driving the car together and we've, like, spent four days harvesting turmeric together, like, I really want to be like, actually, um, but for me, the safety bit has always been huge, but mm-hmm. I'm a young woman traveling to fairly rural parts of the country, Yeah, um, and that can be terrifying. So I'm not sure who I would come out to that I haven't already, because that doesn't feel safe yet, mm-hmm. until I know right. more of how it is to be. Um, but I did start doing this thing when I was on flight. Um, and now looking back, it's a pretty dangerous thing where I would come out to the stranger sitting next to me. Um, and that kind of was a litmus test for it. This is a complete stranger that I'm just sitting next to. Like, Wait, you would just come out me. to people sitting next to you on, on planes? Yes. <laughs> like just to see what would happen? Yeah, pretty much. How did it go generally? <laughs> it, was, it was really odd. And I, it was at a time when I was taking like 14 flights in a three-week period, so... It was just like, you know what, I'm on an airplane. I feel pretty safe. Like, I can bail. They don't know who I am. What were you looking for in that experience? I was I was trying to gauge, I was trying to gauge reactions. Mm. I was trying to understand. Because I've, I've been away from Mumbai. I mean, I visited a lot, but I haven't fully lived in Mumbai since I left eight years ago. So, And I, I came of age here in Italy mostly. So I wanted to understand... As, a, as an adult, what people take on this stuff was. Um, and, and the reactions were bizarre, honestly. Like, um, one would, dude... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one dude went, like, got really in his head. And he was like, 
Well, you know, so his wife was sleeping next to him on the other side. I was on the aisle. He was in the middle. And he, he was like, well, you know, my wife is probably going to be really upset with me that I talked to a woman while she was sleeping, like, this whole plane ride. But now I can just tell her that you're gay, and then I won't be in trouble. And <laughs> I was like, so oh, I'm glad that you got out of this exchange. Yeah, like, that's your takeaway? <laughs> That's like such a dude thing to say. <laughs> Literally. And then and then he was like, so does that mean that your girlfriend gets jealous when you talk to other girls? And I was like, how about she just doesn't get jealous? Right. Like that, that's also a possibility, buddy. And he was like, no, not possible. All relationships have jealousy. Oh. Um, I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think there's just like, like a lack of there. education going on there. <laughs> yeah, and then I had another dude who like, literally turned and stared at me and he was just like no not possible you are too beautiful oh and right because like, that's connected oh, honey. <laughs> yeah like obviously I'm, I have to be like, really ugly and not attractive to men in order to want to date women I mean again um, it sounds like an education issue exactly yeah I mean, it's, and, know, and a lack of people anyway. interacting with you know openly gay people <laughs> so they have exactly. no understanding yeah. of what that even means Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So baby steps. Yeah. There's a fantastic <laughs> organization called um, GC, um, which is actually Gay Desi, and Desi is a person from of a sub Indian subcontinental origin. Um, and they do. They have a great sort of media platform online, but they also do events and mixers across the country. Um, so last year, I actually went to a lot of their things and did some photography for them. And through them, I was able to see that there is a thriving queer community all over the country. Um, it's just everybody part of that community lives a double life. Mm. And that's, that's the re- And so now it'll be interesting to see whether that double life, like that wall between the two lives will come down or it'll take another generation. I don't know. Wow. That's, it's interesting and exciting. Um, yeah. It's you know, it's it's finally moving in the right direction, even if it doesn't happen overnight. So that's good. It's exactly. progress. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, cool. All right. Well, your company, Diaspora Co., is is it? I mean, it's a turmeric company, but are there, are there other spices you sell, or is it primarily just turmeric at this right point? Right now, right now, it's just turmeric. And um, I was actually talking to a friend yesterday, describing it like this started almost as like a really dystopian art project um, <laughs> by a like very that. idealist messed up artist um, <laughs> who like really wanted to change the world and now that it's an actual business I'm having to be like oh okay we need to pivot <laughs> that's interesting um, like what we're, happens we're working, yeah uh, I mean I think in terms of I really just wanted to see a change and I wanted to see if what I was dreaming in my head was possible mm-hmm. um and then we're kind of at the one-year mark for the company now. Oh, and congratulations. Thank you. We survived. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to see if it was possible. And I'm kind of at this point where I'm like, okay, it's possible. Um, check. <laughs> yeah, it's happening. You can have like a wacky, dystopian, wildly idealistic um, company that is based more on social justice than anything else and actually make money. Um, but also it's like, okay, so do you want to continue the art experiment? Um, well, right, because all of a sudden, you know, start painting. <laughs> yeah, you're not just an artist anymore. You're you're an entrepreneur and a CEO and, and a, yeah, a business owner and a boss. Yeah. And it's it's odd and something I'm really having to come to terms with and take a call on and 
I mean, I think the call I've taken is that I want to do it and that I feel, even though I tear my hair out most days of the week, um, I wake up with purpose and I do work that I feel is important, even if if the importance of the day is just packing things into jars. (laughs) Yeah. Um, um, well, why don't we, why don't we like backtrack for a second and you can, yeah, it would be great if you sort of just outline like the, the bullet points of, of your mission and like how your company is different from other, um, I mean, I know your company, I saw the language like direct trade as opposed to fair trade. So how your company model differs from other ones, um, and like what the sort of ethos behind it is. And yeah, why don't we, why don't you lay that out for us? Yeah. If you don't mind. Absolutely. I mean. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think the first one is that this was born out of seeing the turmeric craze of 2016. Um, I think I saw, like, a Google trend report in 2016 that was like, turmeric is the hottest thing here um, in food marketing. And at the time, I was working in food marketing in San Francisco and very confused about what was happening because as far as we grew up in India, it's like, being told that you're a woman of color for the first time where it's like, wait, everybody in my country is my color. Mm. Like, which color are you talking about? Right. So similar with turmeric, you know, I grew up seeing turmeric so woven into the fabric of cooking as a process. Like, was it even cooking if you didn't add a, like scoops of spices from the masala dabba? Mm. Probably not. I'm trying um, to think of like what that would, like what the equivalent of that experience would be like for an American person. Like, I don't even know, like, moving to another country and having someone announce, like, ketchup is the hot new trend or something Literally, like that. Yeah, yeah. Like ketchup is going to, like, blow the <laughs> or something. We've just discovered um, ketchup. <laughs> exa- literally. Or mayonnaise. I mean, yeah, yeah. Mayonnaise can be the butt of all jokes. To- always. Oh, always, as it should be. <laughs> um, and then I, I give the example all the time. Um, I give, like, tomato analogies all the time where... When people think about spices in America, um, all they have seen so far is the equivalent of like a grocery store tomato, which right. is bread to travel, bread for storage, much more than it's ever bred for flavor. Um, and it's probably been sitting on that shelf in the grocery store for months or years. Kind of like those tomatoes that never ever bought. And mm. like, what is made of? Where did you come from? <laughs> Um, and, and I, and I realized like, that's, that's kind of what the spice industry is right now, where nobody really knows where spices come from. They're just powders. Um, and then especially when the wellness sun came up, and was like, ooh, okay, not only is it just a yellow powder, but like this magic powder is going to save me because wellness. Mm-hmm. And, and so in 2016, I think I was very confused and... Then Trump got elected, and so I felt very alienated, and I was just like, wait, does this country not want people that look like me? Um, or what, what is happening here? And I think around that time, I realized that unless I had a way to work with my culture and like the kind of stories and purpose that I believe in, I didn't see the point in working in marketing here. I didn't see the point in, like, being sent as the oldest child from India to America only to photograph, you know, this really expensive citrus. Um, and so I was really looking for, like, what is purpose and what is my purpose and what can I do that will tie together the things I know in India instead of 
feel very strongly about in the American landscape that I have seen. Um, and I kind of had this wild idea at the back of my head that, hey, what about turmeric? Like, they're obsessed with it now. What if I could find the best stuff ever? Like, I don't care what they're doing with it. They can, like, do a turmeric cleanse for all I care, put, drink turmeric lattes every day. Um, as long as if India is making a lot of money off of that, that sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I moved back to India for a lot of reasons. Um, I had just come out to my family. There, there was a lot going on. But also with this idea at the back of my head that what if I met a farmer and, and hooked up with him and we could kind of make this happen. And so I started emailing people and I started messaging people. I started calling people and nobody responded. Hmm. Like three months, crickets. Um, a lot of, most of the news is WhatsApp and on WhatsApp you can get red receipts. And so I could see that everybody was reading my message but they had no information to respond. Um, and so finally I basically started showing up places and that's when when I mentioned that I was kind of lying to farmers about my age um, it was often because I had shown up being like hi I'm here now Yeah. so can you talk to me um, so then I really needed to be taken seriously um, and I basically had very little luck finding standalone farmers that were growing organically themselves that I found that most farmers didn't have access even if they were growing organically didn't have access to really high-quality seed. Um, they usually wanted cash in hand every day, so they didn't have the ability to, you know, sell their crop at the end to a better buyer who could, you know, pay them a premium for organic crop. They wanted to sell on the commodity market every day, get cash for dinner every day. Um, so I, I just realized that the system that they had been roped into from colonialism to capitalism had just made in agriculture a very, very sad place. Right. Um, and I think we hear about that a little bit here in the States, that there's some information about the degree of farmer suicide, like the amount of fertilizer runoff India has, but not much. Not much. Um, I've, I've had chefs basically say to me, like, oh, but, like, everything in India is organic, right? Because they're so poor. And I'm just like, oh, what? my God. Like, where are you from? Wow. I've I literally <laughs> had that being said to me, and I'm, I'm just shocked. Um, like they can't afford fertilizer? Like that doesn't make sense. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, come on. Like, what do you think we are? <laughs> but yeah. then again, I've been asked if I like went to school on an elephant. So there's always that. If you went um, to school on an elephant? Yeah. I was, those were <laughs> legitimate questions that were asked to me. It's like, so how did you get to school in your country? Like, and I was like, in, in a school bus. Like probably a lot nicer than yours. Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was unconditional. It was real nice. Um, but well, so I, I digress. Um, uh, eventually, basically, I linked up with um, the scientists at the Indian Institute of Spice Research, which is in Calicut, which Calicut, or which now Kozikode, is kind of the oldest spice port and spice trading port. Mm. Um, so the Indian Institute was set up there about, I want to say, almost 30 years ago. And it's very much a post-colonial institute. Um, that's dedicated to really uplifting spice agriculture in India. Um, and I think meeting with them was my real, like, okay, wait, I need to do this moment because they were the ones who really explained to me that they have been seeding all of these really beautiful heirloom varietals spices for years now, and they license those varietals out to farmers. So often they will license it for free or super nominal fee so the farmer now has access to some of the highest quality seed. 
um, or rhizome in this, in this piece of turmeric. Um, but then the farmer doesn't have like this radically different market for it. So even if they're growing single origin varietal beautiful crop, they're still selling it on the commodity market. And so for three years, they hadn't really been able to find um, kind of buyers who understood the worth of what was being growing, grown and could offer the farmers a premium. Well, it and sounds so, like yeah, like they need a publicist. They really deeply, I mean, especially because they can't respond to phone calls. For right. <laughs> like they need to get the um, word out. Like, yeah, they, they need a really great New York PR agent. <laughs> um, like a restaurant PR agent. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the really spicy ones. Um, yeah, so I think they really looked at me incredulously and were like, well, it looks like you're the missing link. Like, if you marketed this stuff for us, be in business and yeah. I was like oh um, and I think also the very underfunded government institution and the social justice human and you're like support them mm-hmm. find a way um, and I mean ultimately they also just seem to be doing the best work where nobody else was growing heirloom crops nobody else even knew what that was right. um, nobody had this co- concept of kind of single seed single variety um, mostly so what they explained to me is that, you know, you've heard about, like, Saigon cinnamon and Ceylon cinnamon and Aleppo pepper or Malabar pe- peppercorn, yeah, right? Yeah, So those are actually not spice varieties. Those are colonial brand names. So oh, like marketing like pop- names? Yeah. So well, like how oysters how are, like, the naked cowboy oyster or something like that? I don't know. I, I can give you the example of, like, it's kind of like calling any leather handbag a Louis Vuitton handbag um, oh like a just like a generic long, yeah so basically what what, ha- what I realized is that um, the British in the 1850s wanted to create a luxury good right and so spices in a lot of ways the whole spice trade was based around creating a luxury food product um, and creating an indicator of class and status so if you could afford spices you um and you had money and so but they needed to market that so similar to you know any brand now mm-hmm. they needed the folks in England to be like oh yes like I am drinking this like very exotic rare pepper right and so they would find their favorite locations all over the colony so for example Malabar peppercorn doesn't come from the Malabar coast um, the Malabar coast is just like the British's favorite monsoon destination for the wow country. okay so literally any pepper that meets a certain size, like they take a ruler and they make holes in the ruler of different sizes. If the pepper meets the biggest size, it's a Malabar peppercorn. Hmm. Uh, so okay. any indigenous knowledge of, oh, this variety is actually has this flavor profile, this variety has this flavor profile. All of that was lost because the market became centered around these like super exoticized, lumped brand names. Right. Um, so in turmeric, for example, the highest quality turmeric was considered, was called Alipi turmeric. Um, and I knew about Alipi because it's a fairly popular tourist destination. And so when I first set out to find, you know, really good turmeric in India, I was like, well, I'll go to Alipi because everybody thinks to want Alipi pepper or Alipi turmeric. And um, I got there and I kind of got laughed out of town. Uh, there's no Alipi turmeric in Alipi. What? Um there is none like Alipi is kind of like saying that you can get you get the best oysters in Las Vegas 
Right. Um, uh, like, that just makes no sense. Um, there are high-end hotels that have oysters in Las Vegas. Sure. But that's about but it. But they don't uh-huh. come from there. Yeah. Right. And so I quickly realized that the spice industry in 2018 doesn't look that different from the spice industry in 1850. Um, like, none of the names have changed. Um, and it's still very much based on, like, size and color as opposed to flavor and use and, you know, growth or anything to do with science. <laughs> um, and so what these scientists were telling me is, like, we have real science to back up these varietals and we need to create this market so that there's better knowledge over what is being sold and what is being bought and what is being consumed. Um, and I think the Patriot and me are like, okay, I can do this. Um, and so Dr. Kressev, who's the head scientist at IFR, um, ended up kind of matchmaking me to this farmer, this one farmer, who, in retrospect, I think he saw me as this, like, obsessive, fanatic young person who would leave <laughs> him alone. And um, the farmer that he matched me to, Prabhu, is actually the exact same thing. Like, Prabhu is 34, so as farmers go, he's very young. Um, he speaks English. He is super active on WhatsApp. He found um, the Indian Institute of Science Research. They didn't find him. And he went to them being like, look, I want to make money farming for a chain. Mm-hmm. And I think there should be a premium for spices. I've heard that he does have the turmeric, so give it to me and tell me what to do. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and the first year, he actually didn't have a market for his turmeric. Like, he was able to kind of give it away in this, but he didn't have any, like, high-end buyers at the price that he really deserved. Um, so I think Dr. Prasad, the scientist, was getting a bit frustrated with all of Harvard's emails and was like, okay, here, take her. Yeah. Like, y'all deserve <laughs> each other. Yeah. Um, and so we win-win. Do. We really do deserve each other. Yeah. Um, Sana, we're going to take a quick break just to hear from yeah, our sponsor absolutely. and then we'll be back and, and then we have a few more minutes to keep hearing this amazing yeah. story. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk combined with expertise and affinage is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Surchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Hey, you're listening to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio Network. 
I am Sari Kamen, your host, and I have been speaking with Sana Javari Kadri. She is the founder of Diaspora Co. She's on the line with me, uh, calling in from the Bay Area in Oakland. Um, and she has been telling me the absolutely incredible story about how she started her company, Diaspora Co. So, hey, Sana. Um, we yeah. have about 10 more minutes, so let's, let's keep going. I, I'm just riveted by this. So if you don't mind just picking up where you left off, you're in Mumbai and you got matched up with a turmeric farmer over there. Yeah. Um, so got matched up, got on a very tiny airplane and walked over. Um, he was pretty much, uh, Prabhu, who I didn't know at the time, was mysteriously bad at responding to my phone calls. And so finally, I was just like, okay, once again, I'm just going to go. Um, and when I showed up, uh, I mean, firstly, I was sitting where we were in Vijayawada, Andhra Pradesh, and Vijayawada is um, on the eastern side of the country, and Mumbai is the west. Mm -hmm. So two completely different coasts. It was a really lush, incredible landscape, unlike anything I've seen before. Um, and one of the first things Prabhu said to me is he was like, you know, I care really deeply about the quality of the soil and about farming so that my land continues, you know, to be productive and also healthy. And I am dedicated to really doing this the most natural, gentle way. And I really want a buyer who cares about that. So if I have a buyer who doesn't care about that, I'd actually rather not sell to you. And after having like visited all of these farms all over South India where people had been trying to trick me into buying things people had been lying to me about things to have this farmer like one of the first things he said to me was this where like i don't really you know need to buy like sell to you if you don't care about these things or share the same values i do was very 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 shocking and refreshing mm -hmm. um i think that's quite where we realized like oh i think we really do deserve each other <laughs> yeah. um from one like obsessive quality fanatic to the other um, and I mean, I realized like for the first couple of years that he was doing this, and so when he switched to organic, the entire village regarded him as completely crazy. Like he was a young guy who might have lost his mind because he could have deserved. Yeah, crazy for trusting you and putting his faith in you. Yeah, I mean, one trusting me, putting his faith in me, which Amanda who showed up, um, but also put his place into not using fertilizers and pesticides mm. when nobody in his village would do that. Um, all of them were just like, no, 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 there's no way. Like, nobody has done that before. Oh, of course, right. people have done that before, but just so many generations ago. Well, um, why, why is he so committed to organic? I mean, why does he have that value system in place so if no one else does? We can, well, we definitely asked Prabhu in January, but yeah. <laughs> um, I, my, my gut feeling from what I know of him, has been that he saw how his grandfather and father's way of farming wasn't making them money, and he got to kind of see their arc of having a huge yield one year and then complete losses the next two years, and then the soil being completely shot for the next year after that. Um, so he was watching this process, and I think he's a bit of a problem solver. It's like, this shouldn't be happening, or like, this doesn't make sense. Um, and they were leasing some of their land to tobacco farmers, um, or tobacco companies to grow tobacco. So he was seeing firsthand how depleted the soil was getting um, compared to, and he, he always makes comparisons to the stuff that they farm just for their home use versus the stuff that they farm commercially. 
And he kept saying, you know, but that was never happening with our home, like with our home plot. Like that plot, we intercropped, we never used pesticides, and it's, it's been doing well for years. And so I think he, he was just observing and wanting to find that, that different system for his family. Um, and then he had the kind of privilege where his parents sent him to the city to get an education. So he didn't stay in the village his whole life. He went very far away, actually, on the west coast of the country, near to me, very near to me, compared to how far away it is from him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think also coming to a big, faraway city and being exposed to very different ideas, and being like, oh, like I come from a farming background, but what, what are people in the city saying about farming these days? Um, I think that's when he started to hear a little bit about about organic agriculture. Yeah, so he had perspective that sort of empowered he him to that, challenge yeah, the status quo. Exactly, yeah. And he also then had the privilege to be like, actually, uh, as the oldest boy, I'm going to take over some of this end and do it my way, and y'all are going to let me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the one thing I'd just love to hear you talk about before we have to come to the end is... Uh, I was reading the Munchies article um, that Mayuk Sen wrote, and it's, oh, it's yeah, he was on the show. We love Mayuk. Um, <laughs> just the experience, and I think you and Mayuk have this shared experience, what it was like for you when you first encountered the turmeric latte in a coffee shop, like how bizarre that was. <laughs> I mean, I would just oh, love yeah. to hear it in your own words, because it's, it's yeah, really vivid. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first turmeric latte I had, I, I took a sip, I spat it out quite literally, and then I threw the rest of the the cup into the trash. Um, <laughs> I, that was it. I was done, and I felt so cheated because it was also like one of those sandwiches for like seven dollar lattes. Um, and here I was, twenty three, and being told that you know what I had drunk my whole life, and this disgusting, ver- disgusting version of it was somehow worth seven dollars. Um, so I, I just found the whole experience jarring and. Actually, that was maybe in uh, early 2017, and I have effectively avoided a turmeric latte since then. I mean, I'm sure it's it's not hard to avoid if you're not seeking it out. <laughs> I don't know. When you, when you are in certain wellness circles, you'll be surprised at the turmeric products that you can find. I mean, I, I believe it's pretty pervasive. I have I have seen it often, but I've I've never had one. There's now like a, a turmeric um, cookie butter spread that somebody sent me a link to. And I was just like, why? Why take a perfectly wonderful thing like cookie butter and a perfectly decent thing like turmeric and put them together? Yeah. Like, take, find your wellness elsewhere. <laughs> um, I mean, was that... I mean, as a bit of a... Mm-hmm. No, I was just going to say, was that... Uh, was, was having that latte or, like, just being aware of... I don't know, the, the way turmeric has been appropriated in such bizarre ways, was that part of the motivation for starting a turmeric company? Absolutely, but I think I, and I've said, said this a few times before, usually, you know, I'm Indian and grew up in, in India, so my experience is never one of being an Indian American, which is a very valid but different experience. And so I never had this experience of like being made fun of, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's such an immigrant child experience that your food is made fun of, and then you see it being appropriated, um, and that's where the anger lies. And I think for me, it was more just, what is happening with these people? And so 
I am of the, I'm not of the mind that, hey, Turmeric in an ethical and sustainable way, like you don't really care if people put it in a latte, or, or like, would you be upset I, if you found out I someone did that? So. <laughs> well, I mean, we we wholesale to a turmeric company, and yeah. you know, one of my biggest um, gripes with starting this company was the mammoth of the wellness industry that is Goop going right. to foster a was, company. Yeah, I think about that. You know, I, that I, was your next like Goop drives us up. Yeah, um, but Goop now drinks our turmeric. Isn't that funny? Oh, really? So the turmeric latte blend that you consume every day is made with our turmeric. Oh, that's awesome! Cracks me up on the daily. Um, <laughs> so for me, it's like cool. You know, Duke's turmeric habit is paying for the livelihood of farmers in India. Yeah, great. I'm yeah. down. Drink as much turmeric latte as you want. <laughs> you weirdos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. Um, well, that's great, and I and I love your sense of humor about it, and it does make sense. Yeah. Um, well, why don't you tell us where we can find you on the internet and keep up with yeah. uh, the progress of Diaspora Co. and order the turmeric. Totally. So our website is diaspora dot com, um, and that's when you can find our online store, um, and also actually our newsletter. And I think that. Our newsletter is different in that we are, just as a company, so unproduct oriented where we have reading lists and we have recipes and we interview people. So we're very proud of our newsletter. It's a bit of a baby, a pet project. That's awesome. Um, and and then, I hope you'll, you'll share then, the show. <laughs> yeah. Our newsletter is going out the after tomorrow. So we got you. Yay. <laughs> um, and then um, we also on Instagram as Daphne and that's a great place to keep up with the day-to-day. We're, we're pretty good at our hashtag content. For sure. Um, cool. Well, thank you, Sana, so much for taking this time. And it was great to chat with you and learn more about your company. And like I said before, you're, you're such an inspiration. And it's so cool to talk to someone who's like just making shit happen and changing the world. So congratulations. Oh, thanks on, so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pleasure. And um I'm not going to make a turmeric latte, but I am excited to try your turmeric. Um, So thank you. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in this week. Check us out on heritageradionetwork.org or on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And we'll see you next week, Wednesday at 6 p.m. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. 
just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.